You're listening to The Men Who Made Me, a podcast all about discovering healthy masculinity, male identity, and more, as told by The Men Who Made Us. Today, we welcome Luke Bobo to the podcast. Luke and I worked together for several years at Made to Flourish, both as colleagues and as co-writers to a resource we wrote called Worked Up, Navigating Calling After College. Luke was one of the biggest catalysts in launching my career, if you can really call it that. But one of my favorite things I quickly learned about Luke is that I knew I could go to him with questions. Not just the where's the bathroom or where do we keep the extra coffee office questions. Although he was helpful with those two. I knew he was also a safe person to go to with life's big questions on morality or faith. He was on the receiving end of things like, how do you discern a calling? Or how do you move past anger to forgiveness? Luke is a stellar human being, and he's helped me become a better one too. Even if he does trash talk my alma mater from time to time. (laughs) Sorry, Luke, but go cats. I'm really looking forward to introducing you to this one as Luke, Caleb, and I dig into topics on culture, virtue, family, and the grounding of biblical wisdom. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Luke Bobo. Are we recording? We're recording. That's exciting. Luke. Yes, Paige. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have you. Thanks Um. for... Spending time with us I'm honored to be here with you and Caleb. <laughs> and Caleb is a handsome dude, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Luke. Yeah. You're very welcome on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> got that ego boost this morning. It's really good. I'm trying to get some brownie points here. <laughs> you are. You are. He's going to fit this so well for you. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to edit any of this. <laughs> <laughs> you are in charge, so I'll have to give that to you. Uh, Luke, do you want to start with giving us a summary of just who you are? So name, work, family, anything else you'd like to share? Yeah, so um, again, I'm glad to be here. Um, I suppose we should start with uh, Kansas City, Missouri. That's where I was born and raised. Actually, I was born in Kansas City, Kansas, and then we moved across the border to Missouri. Long story. Um but I went to high school and elementary school in Kansas City, Missouri. And and at the end of high school, I, I knew I was going to college because my grandmother would say to me, Luke, when, when you go to college, Luke, when you go to college. So that was planted in my head, but I didn't know where to go to college. And I didn't know uh, what to major in until my high school counselor said to me, Luke, you're good in math and science, so you should you should pursue engineering. Um, so I did. I went to the University of Kansas, as you know, Paige. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I know very well because you tell me most times we're together. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you forget. Yeah. Uh, so I went to the greatest university in the universe. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Rock Chalk Jayhawks. And there I met my wife. Uh, initially, I'm, I'm not sure if you know this story, Paige, but um, I was a math tutor. And yes, math has its advantages, yes, (laughs) indeed. So we dated, got married, uh, May 21st, 1983. So this May, we will celebrate 40 years of marriage. Wow. Yeah. So 
Thank you. Um, just grateful for Rita, that's my wife's name, and her patience with me, this knucklehead. <laughs> we have two great kids, um, Brianna, Amber, and Caleb Avery. They both live in St. Louis. We lived there in St. Louis for 25 years, um, and we do miss it. So I often say part of my heart is here, and part of my heart is in St. Louis. Um, I love to teach. I love to write, but writing is hard. I love doing it, however, and um, I love speaking. Mm -hmm. So it's probably enough, I suppose. That's great. Yeah. Love that. Well, yeah, when we <clears throat> were originally thinking about this podcast and, and thinking of the list of names we dream people we would want to interview, it was really easy to put you on the list. I mean, both Caleb and I have spent time with you in some capacity, but you've been a really big part of my life and my growing up post-college. We worked together at Made to Flourish. Um, you asked me to co-write a resource with you, worked up. We've gotten to do a lot of speaking events and uh, college events together. So we've spent a lot of time together mm -hmm. and you've been a really great friend and mentor to me. So that's been really exciting and I'm just really grateful that mm -hmm. you've said yes to being here. So thank you for that. So where's a Kleenex? You're going to oh. make me cry. <laughs> it's too early for that, Luke. <laughs> not, not for me. <laughs> um, so we like, we like to start out uh, kind of helping each guest try to define their own definition of masculinity because we realize that that can be different for each person. So when you think of masculinity, what comes to mind or how would you define it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't think about that word often. So I had to go to Google to get a definition, and uh, I guess the formal definition of, of that word is attributes uh, that can be tied to, to men. <laughs> so that's a very vague definition. But um, what comes to mind for me are some of the bad examples in my life and some of the good examples and some of the the good examples of godly men and I use that the word godly on purpose um, two godly men that have shaped me uh, is have been my my grandpa Henry Bobo and a professor Jaron Bars uh, who I met at Covenant Seminary St. Louis. So when I think of masculinity, I think of Jerem Bars and Henry Bobo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So you work closely with men of all ages. What, what comes to mind when you think of the state of men right now? Um, anything particular that stands out, um, maybe compared to um, different decades you've experienced? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... I thought about that question uh, before this podcast, and I I went back to my years teaching at a university in St. Louis, and I think about some of the men, young men that I taught there, and I just wonder if um, men are struggling with knowing how to be men. Um, I wonder if 
and I said this in a sermon not too long ago, I wonder if we need to do a reset on how we raise men. Hmm. Um, there was a, a phrase that I heard growing up that mothers raise their daughters and mothers love their sons. Hmm. Are, we, are we raising our men such that they understand what it means to lead? And are we raising our men in such a way that they know what a godly man is? And I'm thinking particularly about the Christian home. I think um, so many men that are African-American, for example, are struggling with earning respect and dignity because just of the racial history of this country. Um, and I think, I think men are, in, in many ways, just struggling with what it means to be a leader. And I, I think many men, depending on who they are and where they grow up and their socioeconomic status, uh, will have varying degrees of challenge on what it means to be a man. I think too often we... Um, we take our cues from um, culture or pop culture, and quite frankly, a lot of the men that you see on TV are just just buffoons. I think about two and a half men, for example, or men are portrayed as you know conquerors. You you conquer as many females as you can. Mm. You know, you, you get these notches in your belt, and that. Mm. That's what a man is. And I can't tell you how many young men that I taught who, who thought that being a man was um, judged by how many women they could conquer. Mm. Um, and that was Christian, those were Christian men. Mm. So we're not doing something right. And I'm, I'm speaking, of course, in general terms. Mm. Um, so that's a long-winded answer to your question, Caleb. Mm -hmm. I find it interesting in comparison with the previous question when we asked your definition of masculinity, you didn't necessarily have um, like a definition on hand for it, but you thought of people right mm -hmm. away. Mm -hmm. And then just the connection of that to when men take their cues from culture right now, mm -hmm. sometimes they can find themselves lost because mm -hmm. maybe they don't have that person mm -hmm. that they think of right away as a positive example mm -hmm. when they think of masculinity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious, where do you think that breakdown, like what is getting lost in translation? Because I, I do think that, like you have this instinct of like men are kind of wired to lead or men are kind of wired to... Um, be servants to their their homes or their neighborhoods, but there's also like this twist that happens of conquering mm -hmm. or domineering or, mm -hmm. or even just uh, a lack of awareness or leadership. Like in your perspective, not that you have to be the expert in it, but just from mm -hmm. your perspective, like what do you think is happening or where does that breakdown exist? Yeah, I, I suppose it starts with the family. Um, and I have this uh, cartoon in my um, library that talks about replication. We tend to replicate what's, what we see. 
And if if men in the home are not good examples of manhood, that bad example just replicates itself. Mm. And I'm not speaking from a standpoint of having arrived. <laughs> Certainly not. It, it's taken me several years to understand um, what biblical manhood, as, as opposed to manhood portrayed by our culture. And you might say I'm, I'm constantly being converted or understanding what it means to be a godly man. And, and that also means a heavy dose of scripture. You know? mm. um, Jesus was the man. And I've learned a lot from just reading scripture. Here's, a, here's the man who cried, who treated women with dignity and respect. Mm. In fact, um, so I'm a geek out here. <laughs> uh, the Gospel of Luke, if you read it very carefully, um, it's, it's pro-female. Pro um, Jesus' birth account is told from the angle of, of Mary. Mm. And the book of Luke is for those on the margins. So um, you, you cannot read scripture and not come away with this, um, this idea that God wants men to care for and to lead and to serve sisters. It's mm. <laughs> good. If, if, you, if you come away with a different interpretation, just give me a call. <laughs> we'll have a chat. <laughs> you said that, I mean, that's a great segue. Like you said, you've been shaped and you've had to learn mm -hmm. or convert over time. Have there been any specific like events or mm -hmm. epiphanies or like aha moments for you on the way to growing or becoming a man that you're like, oh, this is the direction I want to go or this is how I want to be formed? And would you be willing to share any of those examples? Yeah, I can't think of a, you know, Red Sea moment. <laughs> they have just been gradual. Mm. And I think it begins with, or began with, um, being married. <laughs> um, my wife is a great instructor. <laughs> um, so she has instructed me. And then becoming a father to a daughter. Mm. <laughs> um, the home is a great... Uh, laboratory, or we, sh we can put it this way, the home is a great academy mm. for learning uh, what bad habits are and what good habits are. Mm. And years ago, I taught some students and I said, the home is a place where virtue should be formed. Mm. And I have certainly benefited from that myself. Um, raising a daughter and being married to Rita for um, over f almost 40 years. So I say, I say it's been gradual, um, being married, raising a daughter, and again, I uh, sound like a broken record, but um, as I read scripture, mm. it's, it's been, uh, you might say it's been daily epiphanies. Mm. Not one big epiphany, but daily and incremental type mm. epiphanies. Mm. I 
<clears throat> virtue is a word that I don't think our generation hones in on as much. And I know that it's a topic that you really care for. Would you mind defining that really quickly and just sharing maybe a quick perspective on why that's a big, why you're a big proponent of a virtuous life? Yeah, well, one, it beats vice. <laughs> vice, um, I'm writing a piece, you, 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 be fascinating to know, fascinated to know this page. I'm writing a piece on Vice, and I'm using the film Elvis as a case study. But Vice destroys, and I think it destroyed Elvis and his family. Uh, here's a man that died at the age of 42, mm. and I think there's reasons for that, chiefly Vice. Mm. Virtue, uh, in contrast, is defined as uh, two ways, moral excellence or good moral habits. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm a big proponent of virtue because virtue leads to flourishing. Mm -hmm. um, and don't we want our fellow man, our neighbor, and don't we want ourselves to flourish? And I think that flourishing happens when we live virtuous lives mm. uh, as opposed to being guided by vice. Mm. It has to be intentional, right? Like virtue doesn't necessarily just come about. <laughs> no, you, it's, it's like any habit, you have to practice it. And, and tongue in cheek, um, we practice virtue by being around people. It's, it's really, as you think about it, uh, the fruit of the Spirit or a list of virtues in many ways. And we practice those, we practice the fruit of the Spirit by being led by the Spirit, but we practice those, the fruit of the Spirit by being around people, around other knuckleheads. Well, of course, you guys are not knuckleheads, but I'm a knucklehead. But it's been around broken people. And... I said this at a conference recently, um, if there were not other people on the face of the earth, we wouldn't have to worry about virtue. Mm. But because we live in communities, we have to worry about virtue because virtue is really about the other. Mm. And Christianity chiefly is a, is a other-centered religion. Mm. Isn't, it, isn't it fascinating that Jesus summed up the entire Old Testament with two commands, love God and love your neighbor. Mm. <laughs> you know, mm. Other-centered. Yeah. So um, that's, good. that's why I'm a big advocate of, of virtue and or pushing that, that agenda, as it were. Mm. Do you have any advice for, you know, you thinking back to maybe some of your incremental change or your epiphany moments? What do you wish you would have known or what advice would you give to people in that formational process, whether young men mm -hmm. or students that you work with? Mm -hmm. Like, what do you wish you would have known in your journey? Mm. Yeah, um, that's a great question. I, I, think, um, I think this was Caleb's question about the state of manhood. I think what men struggle with most is intimacy with other men. Now, that let me explain what I mean there. Um, I think we have trouble being vulnerable 
this other man because it's to do so is a sign of not being a man. <laughs> mm. But so if I if I were to say to, something I would say to my younger self is be vulnerable, transparent with other men. I would have done that earlier. Mm. In fact, when I was teaching young men at the um, at the university, I would encourage them to develop uh, covenant groups, groups of other men that can hold them accountable. Mm -hmm. So um, I would certainly do that, um, get in relationship with men that can hold me accountable, where I can be vulnerable, I can share my struggles, my successes, my sins. Uh, I was, will have certainly have spent more time with my grandfather because he was the first man that actually said to me that he loved me. Mm. And uh, I would never for forget that moment. Um, and then certainly I would have, if I could do it all over again, I would have uh, been a bit more diligent reading God's word. Mm. Uh, that's where true transformation happens, uh, our interaction with with God's word. So accountability groups are being being accountable to someone where I can share some of my struggles. Um, spending more time with my grandfather because I'm part of a blended family. My mom and dad had me out of wedlock and my grandfather and grandmother lived on the Kansas side and we lived on the Missouri side. So if I had to do it, do it all over again, um, I would have found ways to be in his presence more. Mm. But of course, um, you have to turn 16 before you can drive, so mm. I had to depend on other people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then um, lastly, um, more intentional about God's word and, and uh, a, a constant diet God's word. I would. Mm. I suppose I would have been more consistent um, if I could do it all over again. Mm -hmm. So now, yeah, I think of you. You've mentioned, um, you know, your role as a husband and, and a father. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that, and then just given some of your thoughts on what you maybe would have done differently. Um, now, with that perspective. Um, and with that background, what, what is it like for you to model, uh, masculinity or manhood for your kids mm -hmm. and exemplify it for your wife? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'll tell you a little story. Um, I remember officiating a wedding in St. Louis, uh, I think it was a year or so ago. And I did a homily before doing the vows. And I said to both the husband and the wife, the secret sauce of marriage is uh, cultivating the virtue of humility. And so I've tried in both being a father and being a husband, model for my kids what it means to be humble. And I would argue, and I base this on Karen, um, Karen Pryor's book, um, on reading well, Karen Swallow Pryor, that is, 
on reading well her book, she says, humility is the basis or the foundation for all other virtues. So I've tried to cultivate that virtue uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit, of course. I've asked, <laughs> I've asked my wife to keep me humble. And I've certainly tried to challenge my son. Um, I hope my son hears this podcast and perhaps I might get in trouble by saying this. But I've asked, I've challenged him to be humble. Um, because things have come easy for him. He, here's a young man who graduated from high school in three and a half years. Uh, went to KU and could have graduated in three years. So academically, things have come easy for him. So he, he has, on occasion, developed uh, a tad bit of arrogance. So uh, being a father to him means challenging him graciously, of course. Um, but uh, Hebrews 12 talks about we, we discipline out of love. So um, I discipline him by challenging him uh, with his pride out of love. So, and I've tried to, um, again, with the aid of the Holy Spirit, to be humble with my wife by apologizing to her. And sometimes doing, doing that in front of my kids. Sometimes it means apologizing to my kids for administering discipline, but maybe going overboard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. uh, and if there's any parents listening to this podcast, sometimes we do go overboard. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we should repent of such things. We should ask for forgiveness. So... I'm not sure if that answers your question. I think it does. Okay. Yeah. And I'm glad you unpacked humility a little bit, yeah, a yeah. little bit more for yeah, us too. Yeah. 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 Now I, I can recall as a, as a teenager, I don't think I ever heard my parents say, I'm sorry for that. And so, uh, I, I think, I think we engender or we can, cultivate a lot of trust among our kids if we uh, aim to be humble. I'm curious too, like raising a son versus raising a daughter, mm -hmm. um, what was the difference or was there one or I don't know, just thinking as someone who is a man, like did you have to think really intentionally about the difference between parenting a boy and a girl? Oh, absolutely. I, I think about that passage in Proverbs. I think it's Proverbs 22, 6, raise up a child in the way that they should go. Uh, <clears throat> which, which means, uh, basically, that each kid has a certain bent. So it's not a one-size-fits-all, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. So um, my wife and I had to think about how to raise Caleb and how to raise Brianna, not because of gender necessarily, but because of the way they were, were wired or are wired. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yes, um, for example, uh, to discipline our, our son because he was such a social butterfly, <laughs> to discipline him meant um, he could not go to certain social events. Uh, for our daughter, we had to sometimes uh, spank her wrists 
So, and I would say this, um, as an African-American male, we had to raise our son differently in this respect. We had to say, son, as an African-American male, you must be very careful, <laughs> sadly. Mm. Um, so we had to give him the talk about, um, you know, police officers. Some police officers are mostly good. I want to have that on the record. But many are can be overzealous. And... Um, and I'm not, I don't say this to get anyone's pity, but I do worry most about my son um, because of this, this racial climate in which we are in. So we had to raise him differently in that respect. Um, and likewise, our daughters, in terms of socially, uh, at times she, she has a double whammy. She has a double curse. She's a female and she's a black female. Sometimes that can work against you um, in our culture, particularly in co uh, co uh, corporate America. Hope you guys can clean that up. <laughs> uh, so, um, so we had to raise them differently in that respect and differently in terms of what Proverbs 22, 6 says, that they have a certain bent. Um, for example, another example, uh, we had to give, we had to hold our daughter's hand when it, when it came to responsibility because she struggled with ADD. We didn't have to do that with, with our son. But it required us to study them and, and, and observe, observe them to see how to best raise them. And, of course, there's no perfect parenting and there's no perfect kids. Um, but we did our very, very best. <laughs> and, of course, there, there would be some things we'd do differently. Um, but we, we don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. You do your very best. That's good. Yeah. That's a good word. I love Luke because you can tell how seriously he takes the things in life that matter. But never himself too seriously. I've always admired that about him, but don't tell him that. I'm still a little salty about the KU comment. <laughs> we hope you guys stick around for the second part of our two-part interview with Luke coming to a podcast streaming service near you soon. Thanks to Caleb Miller, Bethany Van Epps, and Emmy Stewart for your collective work on the podcast. The conversations, text threads, and groundwork you do to make this podcast happen makes all the difference. Thanks to Smith and Mister for the use of their music on this episode. And... Thanks, as always, to you, the listener. If you like our show, let us know what you think by giving us a rating, a review, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on Instagram, if that's your thing, at Men Who Made Me. We hope you'll join us next time on another episode of The Men Who Made Me. Thanks for tuning in.